A farmer once came to a Sufi saint with a problem. He said, My wife is rearing a lot of cattle and fowl. The whole house is stinking with their odor. I am unable to even breathe. You must show me a way to escape from this nuisance. The saint said, Why don't you open the windows? The fresh air would drive out the odors. The farmer exclaimed, Oh, no, then my pigeons would fly out of the house. Perhaps you've heard this one. (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about our soul family, which will also have to do with our physical families, whether that is our family of origins or our created family with spouses and children and so on. Oh, the lessons that our families of origin can teach us. Yes, as well as our spouses and children. And oh, the pain and frustration of trying to get along with people who are in our lives by design, not always by choice. We play roles for each other during our lifetimes that our souls pre-plan for very specific purposes. Sometimes it is to act as mirrors to each other. Or it might be to experience various kinds of bonds other than just the love bond that we have on the other side. Or it might be to practice loving each other despite an array of circumstances. Timothy Keller says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. End quote. I've heard it said that we are, quote-unquote, born of God which I take to mean as being individuated from the divine source energy in groups of 144 souls. Now, I don't know if this is absolute truth, this very specific number of uh, groups of 144 souls, but it is an interesting thought. What I do know from working with multiple lifetimes via QHHT is that we do seem to have a soul family that we do life with again and again. And that soul family must be quite large because there seems to be quite a variety of different souls in the primary positions of various lifetimes. Repeats do occur where we might have the same parents or the same spouses, but usually it'll come up during the session that that it's because we failed to complete a contract with them or we have more learning with them. Or sometimes it's simply because we are very connected to them at a soul level and we come in together as support for each other. This is true of Diana and I. We came together for this lifetime because this was set up to be a difficult and a highly impactful lifetime for each of us. We have been siblings in at least one other lifetime that we've encountered. If you have traveled much overseas... You probably have come to pick your travel companions wisely. (laughs) You may have learned who complements your personality or your tendencies well and who doesn't. 
You might choose someone that's super fun or someone who is peaceful or someone who has been there before and speaks the language. I would imagine that we choose our life companions in somewhat the same way. People that we love and people that we can learn from and those who will be exactly the sort of travel companions that we need to get the most out of the experience. Because human life is about learning and growth, our travel companions might be those who challenge us, those who open us, or maybe those who embody the lessons that we have set out to learn. This means that the people who have hurt us the most in these staged roles of this lifetime are often the souls that we love very, very much on the other side. Our soul family plays roles for each other that can look like a soulmate, yes, or that can look like an enemy, and everything in between. It's really quite a different perspective when you begin to think of people as souls playing a very specific role, both heroes and villains. The real soul you and the real soul me is not the same as the role that you and I are playing in this lifetime. We all come masked and costumed. Emmanuel says in Emmanuel's book three, you will be astounded at how many bouquets of roses you will want to send to those whom you now consider, if not your outright enemies, certainly not champions of your life. A thank you note to all tyrants will be most in order, for they have brought you to the moment of now. Whatever brings you to your truth is a friend. Well, you may ask, couldn't I have reached the moment of now without them? Evidently not, or you would have chosen another way. End of quote. So then, with this information, we can begin to examine who has been the most influential in our life, particularly who has been the biggest catalyst of our growth, who has been the source of our greatest joy and our greatest or deepest pain, and with whom do we maybe have unfinished business? When I can stop condemning those who have hurt me, when I can move into forgiveness, then I can seek to understand the role that they played for me. I can begin to ask for a change of perspective and let myself see it all from the height and the objectivity of a soul perspective. This may change little to nothing on the surface of a painful relationship. The other person may never even know that anything's changed for me because I won't go back into or rekindle a damaging relationship just because I understand what's going on behind the scenes. That person is probably still playing their painful role to me. This understanding can ease my suffering. It can relieve my pain. And my lessons can be learned. I can even imagine saying to their higher loving self, thank you. Thank you for these lessons that you have brought to me. More importantly, I can move past the pain that keeps me stuck and perpetuates the lie that all of this is the only reality. Sometimes it takes a very judgmental person to teach me not to judge. It takes a mean person 
to remind me to be kind. It may take a disconnected person to teach me to be more present or a difficult parent to remind me to parent well. It takes a difficult friend to teach me gratitude for great friends. See, if we stop at bitterness and resentment towards the difficult people in our life, we miss the lessons. For all we know, that person is only playing a villainous role in our life as a service of the greatest love to us. My goal, which sometimes seems unreachable, is to treat every difficult person who impacts me as if this were true of them, as if they are only playing a villainous role in my life as a service of greatest love to me. Because why not? Why not? If they really are a villain, (laughs) then me being kind is still the very best response. And I truly am grateful for difficult people because they are usually living a harder life than what we would consider easy people. It's, it's actually very hard to be negative. Life sucks when you're stuck in the negative parts of life. Those frequencies are no fun to be in. So kindness is always in order. Gratitude to difficult people for the service that they are providing to everyone by being difficult. Another little subtopic that I want to touch on here is divorce. The idea that divorce is bad or should never happen is quite ludicrous from a soul perspective. Our cultures have trained us to think that all marriages should last forever. But this is often not at all what we plan for coming in. Increasingly, We seem to have contracted for more and more relationships that impact us deeply within each lifetime. In earlier incarnations, uh, when we're doing QHHT sessions, we see people staying married to the same person for their entire lifetimes and learning from each other at uh, great depth and helping to smooth each other's rough spots. Now, lately, it seems that we are learning at an increased pace. So it might take multiple partners and various types of children, such as blended families and multicultural or multi-gender experiences even to get the lessons that we're planning for. Not to mention, there have been hundreds of thousands of years of failures that we've had in our lifetimes to try again on. So lessons that we have not yet fully learned that all goes into this mix, this pot so make, make no mistake, the great variety of experiences that are coming to us are very much by design. And when religion teaches some of these things are wrong, like divorce or homosexuality or transgender roles, it is only because they hold a very limited ego perspective and or a perspective based on ideas that are several thousand years old on the evolutionary scale of human development. And that's okay too. Restrictions and condemnations are just another lesson, another catalyst to help us on our paths. So yes, we often avoid divorce or anything else that seems to cause us pain. And yet, 
When we begin to look at our lives from the eyes of learning and love, we can perhaps begin to see that it is time to move on from a relationship. It's time to stand up for our truth, or it's time to experience ourselves outside of a certain relationship, or it's time to experience a completely different type of relationship. The other day, a friend was speaking of their divorce and their tone, their demeanor held such great shame. And I wanted so badly to share this perspective, my perspective that more than likely this was all pre-planned and pre-contracted and very, very much in their highest interest. It's the same with friends that I have who have had difficult or abusive family relationships. It seems so easy to feel shame for not being able to fix a relationship or to put up with it enough to somehow make it at least palatable in our cultural paradigms. But what if following your heart is always, always the best path? What if taking care of you and being kind and loving to your own sweet self is always the right answer? What would that mean for our relationships? I want to touch briefly here on understanding soul ages. My introduction to this concept was from a man named Jose Stevens, who has many articles on the website, thepowerpath.com, and several of his articles reference soul ages. So just like here inside of our human lifetimes, there are people of every age that we interact with, yes. The souls that we encounter and do life with are of varying ages as well. Now from a higher perspective, all souls are perfected and soul ages don't exist. (laughs) Just like from a high enough perspective, time doesn't exist. However, From this perspective, inside of a lifetime, from our human perspective, while we are all on these soul journeys, souls definitely are at varying ages or stages of their journey, and we're all mixed in here together for a very specific, targeted reason. (laughs) There are seven stages that Jose Stevens distinguishes. And each stage has a specific orientation, and then he gives a little motto. So I'm going to run through those real quick just to give you the idea. Stage one is the infant soul. And the infant soul's orientation is survival-oriented. And their motto would be, me and not me. That's, that's what they can distinguish. That's all they can distinguish is What is me and what is not me? The second stage is the toddler soul. Their orientation is rule-oriented. And their motto is me and other me's. That's all they can distinguish is what is me and what is other me's. The third stage is the young soul or the child. And they are success-oriented. And their motto is me and you and I win. (laughs) If you have children, um, you understand these so far, yes? The fourth stage is the mature soul or the adolescent. 
and they are relationship oriented. And their motto is me and you, and I know how you feel. It's the beginning of when we can start to have empathy. The fifth stage is the old soul or the adult. Old souls or adults are philosophically oriented, and their motto is me and you, and we are both part of something bigger. The sixth stage is the transcendental soul. They are we-oriented, and their motto is, there is only we or us. And the seventh stage is the infinite soul, or the I am-oriented. The motto for the seventh uh, stage of soul is, I am who I am. And then there are seven levels within each of these stages with a possibility that it may take several lifetimes to work through each level. So, aha, now we begin to see why we live so many lifetimes here on earth, assuming that all these levels and stages apply primarily to this third dimension learning. Those seven definable stages are taken from Jose Stevens' article titled How to Distinguish Between Soul Ages, which you can find at thepowerpath.com. And it has so much great additional in-depth information. I'm going to continue to quote a little bit from that specific article here. Even though there have been such prejudices over the ages, we cannot use physical size, intelligence, race, biological age, or gender to determine soul age or maturity. A black 10-year-old girl midget could be a very old soul, and a big 50-year-old white man may be an infant soul, or vice versa. So what clues can we use to determine soul age? They are the following. Number one, values held. Number two, perspective demonstrated. Number three, behavior patterns manifested. Number four, level of fear demonstrated. Number five, level of violence demonstrated. Number six, level of compassion revealed. And number seven, eye contact and some characteristics of appearance shown. End quote. So I would direct you to that article because uh, Mr. Stevens goes in depth into these seven ways to sort of clue into what age a soul might be. And for me, it's helpful to understand this whole concept of soul ages because then I have more patience. For instance, when I know a person is experiencing their toddlerhood stages of life, I tend to have more patience with them once I understand and remember this concept. I don't expect any more of them because they're literally not capable of acting differently. We, we each have, all of us have, mixed into our families of origin and even our chosen families souls of varying ages because of the lessons that we can teach them 
and the patience or the compassion or the tolerance that they can teach us. Lastly, seeing all of our relationships from the perspective of soul family brings such joy. I occasionally have brief encounters with a new person, and it might be, you know, a various various genders, various ages, uh, various cultures, and I may never see them again in this lifetime. And yet, I will connect with them. We will connect as if we'd known each other always. It's this feeling of, of a sweet and deep familiarity and a mutual love that has no basis in this lifetime. And this is an indication that this person, or this soul, is part of my family on the other side. And I just love it. I cherish this when it happens because I get the sense, I can feel in those brief moments the greater relationship that we enjoy at home on the other side. My longtime friendships that come and go, as well as those which are constant, all of these are souls that I call family on the other side. And it's just such a deep comfort and a great joy to feel the absolute love and to know that there is a greater reality and a more perfect connection and that we have these incredible relationships in that eternal place that is our home. The whole goal of all of this is to bring some of that awareness and that soul family love into this fleeting little illusion that we call human life. Ra says in the Ra Love One books, the biggest catalyst for soul lessons are the interactions with other selves. The second being interactions with creator and the third being interactions self with self, end quote. The additional resources for today are studying the concept of boundaries and trust via Brene Brown's books and courses. Now, she did at one time have a couple courses available on her Courage Works website, and I am not sure that that's still up anymore because she um, recently or currently has been changing venues. So I would just encourage you to do a search for uh, boundaries and trust uh, with Brene Brown and just see what she still has out there because she defines both uh, and teaches such excellent practices around these very, very central to healthy relationship concepts, (laughs) boundaries, and trust. There are throughout most or even all of Dolores Cannon's books, examples of soul contracts and soul family. I think, if I remember right, that the Convoluted Universe series has quite a few. So I would direct you if you want to kind of peruse uh, this whole idea of soul contracts and soul family, maybe to start looking first at her convoluted universe books. I believe there's five of those. And then lastly, of course, once again, I direct you to Jose Stevens' articles at thepowerpath.com, specifically the article I used for this one, which was titled How to Distinguish Between Soul Ages. 
But he touches on this whole concept in many, many of his articles there. Remember to visit our author website at ddadair.com, that is ddadair.com, and let Diana or I know what additional questions you might have about this. Also, if you are interested in knowing when our Atlantis book series is published, you can sign up for an email notification at our website. Thank you for your time today. Blessings on each one of you and blessings on your day today.